Case number 370 is our opening number this morning. Ask the congregation to stand if you'd like. <coughs> There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye, all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. Jesus, he's been crucified, Lord. Power 
mercy and your grace. Lord, help us to draw our strength from you. We pray these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Very much, Brother Adam. Um, I have some thoughts on my mind this morning, and I'm going to try to share some of those with you from the ninth chapter of the book of Romans. Um, I've preached out of this book several times, and I each time I feel like I get a little more uh, light on the subject. It's uh, it's a um, it's kind of the to me to me Romans is probably the the most thorough treatment of God's doctrine in a single book in the entire Bible. Not that not that all the other books, maybe with the exception of Isaiah. Okay, I'll, I'll use put that little caveat in there. Isaiah is also uh, a thorough treatment of, of all the doctrine of God except it's of course it's written from an Old Testament perspective so it, it's uh, it's a little more veiled in uh, types and shadows than Romans is in Romans uh, the Apostle Paul was given so much clarity on, on God's doctrine that I think that's why it's so much more uh, clear and it's in its teaching than, than the Old Testament book of Isaiah is. And, and not that the other books of the Bible don't give us a good thorough treatment of God's doctrine. It's just that um, most of the books uh, focus on one or two uh, sort of high points of doctrine. While I think the book of Romans really just covers all of it. This ninth chapter is kind of a segue between the, the doctrinal portion, the real, you know, just the, here's the doctrine that the Lord has that we should follow. And then the rest, remainder of the book, sort of nine, is kind of segues into the practical application of these doctrines. It's, it's uh, you know, which where the rubber meets the road, I guess you would say. Uh, it's it's kind of doctrinal one half practical the other how to apply the doctrines that we've learned well in this in this chapter specifically in this chapter it is the subject the subject of this chapter is election I think um, but so often we've treated this subject we've treated this this passage as so God is showing us who's elect and who's not elect eternally. And I don't think that is shown to us anywhere in Scripture, to be honest. Um, I don't think we're privy to the information that God contains in his book of life. We don't have access to the book of life. Uh, we don't know who's in the book of life. We don't know who's not in the book of life. It's not our business. That's I think that's the key. It's just not our business. Uh, the Old Testament writer in oh, what book is it? I think it's Deuteronomy says the secret things belong to God, but the things which are revealed are left for us and our children. They're for us to discover. And these are the things that are revealed. Those things that that 
Who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven? That's not up to us. It's not revealed to us. Now we can uh, do like the Apostle Peter says. We can strive to make our calling and election sure. And that, that is not to God. We're obviously not going to try to make our election sure to God. Because God already knows whether or not we are an elect child of God or not. We, I, I think everybody that has a desire to go to heaven will go to heaven because that desire was placed there by God. Um, I, I don't think there's anyone that will go to heaven that doesn't want to go. And I don't think there's anyone that won't go to heaven that wanted to go. I'll just put it like that. that and they might not even know the term for heaven or the right phrase for heaven, but there's a hope beyond here and all of those who have a hope, who have that hope, will be with him one day. I believe that. Well, this ninth chapter of the book of Romans is one that is just, it's always uh, been difficult for me, especially the passages relating to uh, Jacob and Esau. And because we've so often used Jacob as a type of, the of a child of God and Esau as a type of the non-elect, I believe that's led us in really a uh, not a firm grasp on what the ninth chapter is really trying to teach us. And I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I, I have a thorough grasp on the subject either, but I'm going to, uh, with the Lord's help, I, I pray that we can share some things that are right. <clears throat> I'm just going to read through some of this uh, and comment just make a few short comments on some of it, and then we might look, try to dig a little deeper into some of the rest of it. So the ninth chapter, the first verse, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why? What's he heavy for? What's the continual sorrow for? He says, for I could wish that myself, and notice the, how he phrases that, for I could wish. He doesn't say that I do wish. He says, I could. He says, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen's sake, according to the flesh. He, he could do that if, if he thought it would do any good or help, but he knows that that's not how the Lord works. That that's not how this, uh, this thing that we have works. And so that's not what he's actually wishing for. But he's explaining or relating to us what, how heavy his heart is and how much he has continual sorrow and who it's for. It's for his brethren, his kinsmen. And, you know, I think that should be for all of us who have uh, brethren and kinsmen who are, not, who are not privy to the truth. Who don't have a great, who don't have the understanding of the truth that we have, we should have that heaviness in our hearts for those who are still in bondage, and that is exactly what the Apostle Paul felt here. His his uh, kinsmen were still in bondage under the law, and so many people today, brothers and sisters, are still in bondage. They they're so afraid that somebody who wants to go to heaven is going to miss out. And they're so afraid that somebody who, written, when you, you know, we begin to talk to them about what it is we believe and how we believe the doctrine of election and how we believe that God, before the world even began, uh, chose uh, a people for himself. When we begin to teach things like that, they begin to retort with things like, well, uh, so that means that if I want to go to heaven and I'm not an elect, I won't get to go. That's just not right. 
that's a straw man argument. We've all, you know, we've talked about that before. We know what a straw man is. A straw man is uh, uh, something that's uh, built out of straw that's really easy to tear down. It's not a very valid argument. It's just a false one uh, used. Uh, it's just a, a debate tool. It's used to try to get an upper hand on your adversary. Paul says, <clears throat> I have that great heaviness and continual sorrow for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. So they're Israelites. Israel, we have to remember, Israelites are descendants of Jacob. Israelites are descendants of Jacob. Uh, Jacob. Jacob had his name changed to Israel because he was a prince of God. That's what, uh, is, is what the scripture tells us. So Israelites are descendants of Jacob and they have, and so Paul begins to speak here about this election they had, this specific kind of election they had that is not an eternal election. And I, I, want, I want you to be sure I want you to focus on those things. What kind of, what are we being elected to in, as we look through this, this uh, chapter? What is it that, that, you, that they're being chosen for? Again, remember what I said uh, already that so many people want to take this particular chapter and show how Jacob is an elect child of God and how uh, Esau is a non-elect, non-child of God. That is not the case. That is not what this is teaching. Esau might not be a child, might not have been a child of God, but I don't know. I just don't know. <clears throat> Paul begins to talk about these things that they were elected to, and I think this is a national election. Israel was chosen as a people to represent him. And his doctrine and his ways and his and who he is they were chosen so so that uh, they might stand out above all other peoples that they might represent his people to the world did they do a good job of that they crucified the Lord of glory you think they did a good job of that uh, Paul says in the third chapter of this book, he says, uh, uh, let me find it. Wrong chapter. Second chapter of this book. He says, uh, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. As it is written, for circumcision barely profiteth if it, if thou keepest the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncertain. What's he saying there? Your actions are speaking a lot loud. No, yeah, your actions are speaking a lot louder than your words. You're not being, you're not behaving very much like a child of God. That's what he said. This is national. This is a national election. Who are Israelites to? To whom pertain the adoption, they were adopted, uh, and the glory, they were 
uh, given the Shekinah glory, they were given the pillar of fire and the, the cloud uh, and the covenants. They were given the tablets of stone that contained the law and the service of God. They had uh, the tabernacle out in the wilderness. They were given these things by God uh, for his glory and for his glory only. That's the only reason why God does anything. Uh, who are the fathers? Whose are the fathers of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Now, Paul wants to begin to talk about this concept of election. And so he says that they were, they were chosen, they were elected, they were selected by God. But why is he in content? Why is he continually in a state of heaviness and sorrow over them if they were, if they had all this? Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Again, let me remind you who Israel is. Israel are the descendants of Jacob. And so we have here a description of uh, the representative people of God from the old covenant. <clears throat> so not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Just because you're an Israelite doesn't mean you're adopted, doesn't mean you're selected, doesn't mean you're chosen. But that's, you know, that was the promise that all of the seed, the promised seed, and even though you look back in the Old Testament, Abraham was given the promise originally. Isaac was given the promise uh, uh, after Abraham was the promise of Abraham. And ultimately, Jacob was given that same promise, the promise that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through you. All of them. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now I want you to think about how he's, the terminology that he's using here, the seed. Over in the book of Galatians, Paul reemphasizes this in that he says seed. He doesn't say seeds. He says seed. Yeah, as in one. As in one seed. One specific seed. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but an Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. John says... How does John put that in John chapter 1? He says, um, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. <clears throat> it's not natural inheritance that gets you your standing with God. It's not your natural line which gets you your standing for God. That's what I think that's what he's pointing out here. But listen to how he says this. That 
That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Notice he says for the seed. Not as the seed, but for the seed. I would say that we, brothers and sisters, today are in this particular verse, we would be the children of promise for the seed. We would be the children promised to the seed. Let me read some more. For this is the word of promise. At that time will I come and Sarah will have a son. That's the first, uh, that's the first, um, uh, Blessing uh, to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, that they would bring forth a son, that through that son all the nations of the world would be blessed. But not only this, but when Rebekah had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, so here's the next generation of that. The promise still remains. Uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Uh, be as the I think when he's when he told when he's mentioned this to Isaac, he said it'd be because with Abraham it was as the stars of the heavens and as the sands of the seashore, and I think with Isaac it was as the dust of the earth. As the dust of the earth. Well can you can you not can you think about and I, I think about how hard difficult it would be like just scraping up a handful of sand and counting the grains. And how much smaller a speck of dust is than a grain of sand? I'm not a universalist, okay? I'm definitely not a universalist. A universalist is someone that thinks uh, everybody in the entire world is going to heaven. There, there's too many verses in Scripture that, that says otherwise. Uh, in Revelation 5 and 9, the uh, uh, John there says that um, he saw a great number which no man could number out of every nation uh, nation and kingdom and kindred and tongue and something along those lines. I might have messed that up a little bit. Out of. But the, the key is out of. So not everyone is elect. But I think that number that is is a great number which no man could number. They're like the dust of the earth. This is the word of promise. At this time shall uh, I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah had also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. So here's the, here is the verse stating the purpose of election. What is the purpose of election? The children being born, not born, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that called. So how are we elect? How, how does election work? Election works by, and the world will tell you that all you have to do is work hard enough 
Follow the steps. Do the things that you're supposed to do. Brothers and sisters, that's the, that's the reason Paul had so much sorrow and so much heaviness. Is because his brethren were still under that old law service that said do and live eternally. When the do and live was for right here. Was for what we for living with each other. Not for eternal life. The children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Well, it was said unto her, and this is a, a statement that was made uh, to Rebecca before Rebecca had even, uh, I guess before she'd even conceived, or maybe when she conceived while they were still in the womb, uh, it was said, the elder shall serve the younger. When you see there, I hear people say, you see there, that just proves that Jacob, and he, let me read the next verse, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. I hated that Esau. Book of Malachi says that he laid his mountains to waste. Esau says, yeah, I'll rise up. God says, no, you will not. Except it wasn't actually Esau. And you know, the interesting thing is that Esau never did serve Jacob. As a matter of fact, when he came and stole his brother's blessing by subtlety, he says, surely he's named Jacob for the right reason. Jacob means supplanter, uh, which, which means go in behind or underneath and steal something. That's what a supplanter is. Uh, That's why God gave him a better name, called him Israel. But after he had stole his brother's blessing to, to and basically the blessing there, you know, there's a, there's spiritual connotations to the blessing, obviously. Obviously, there's spiritual connotations to the blessing that uh, that that uh, Isaac gave to Jacob. And you remember the story, right? That uh, uh, Jacob is old and he's blind. I'm sorry. Uh, um, Isaac is old and blind and He's, he's, uh, he doesn't know how much time he has left. And he says to his son Esau, he says, uh, go out into the field and uh, get me some venison. And then make me some savory meat the way I like it. You know how I like it. Make it that way. And then come back and bring it to me so I can enjoy it and give you my blessing. Well, you know what happened. Rebecca was listening. And she says, okay. Go out and get a couple of kids of the goats and bring them in and I'll make savory meat like he likes it and you'll go in and get the blessing. You ever, you ever, ever you remember that show Dallas? What, what was some of the other ones? Or, or any kind of good old, uh, good old soap opera. Oh, they're all just cutthroat. I mean, cutthroat. Brothers and sisters, these folks were cutthroat. They, they weren't straight up with anybody. I mean, you you had to have eyes in the back of your head and the side of your head and everywhere to, to even pretend like you knew what was going on. Uh, Isaac's like, 
no, it ain't going to work. Mom, it's, I'm not hairy like him. I don't smell like him. So it, well, just here, you put on his clothes. I'm going to put the sheepskin on your hands. We'll drape some on your neck. You can bring this in to your dad, and he'll smell you, and he'll feel you, and he'll think, yep, that's my son Esau. He did what his mama told him, and that's exactly what happened. He went right in there. He come right in and gave his father the savior meat. He says, and, and, and uh, I... Um, Isaac was like, now the voice is my son Jacob, but boy, the smell and the feel. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's a Esau. Let me bless you. Part of that blessing had a spiritual connotation, okay? Obviously it does because that's, I think, what the scripture's talking about. But, in, but it also has a natural connotation. The blessing by the father gave him rule over all the all the other children in the family gave him uh, rights to all the land in the family, gave him rights to all the property that the family had owned. And Isaac had become so wealthy that the Philistines said, listen, you just go over there because you're so wealthy. We can't even be around you because you're so daggum wealthy. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. Because the Lord just blessed him. Jacob never owned the family property. Jacob never ruled over. And he says, your brothers are going to bow down to you. We tell you, Esau never bowed down to Jacob. As a matter of fact, it was Jacob, uh, after he hid from Esau for a bunch of years and ended up getting a bunch of, and he accumulated him a lot of wealth over in his, uh, in his uh, with his mother's family. He had run away. And he was hiding out over there and found himself in a lot of trouble over there too because everywhere they went, they, they caused trouble. Those daggum Israelites. Everywhere they went, they caused trouble. And he was coming back. And as he came back, he was so scared that his brother was going to kill him. Esau. The one who's supposed to be the non-elect uh, representative in this story. Jacob came back and he bowed down to Esau and he brought him gifts and Esau says, I, I don't want your stuff. And he hugged him. That sounds like a non-elect to you. The book of Deuteronomy, the, the Lord tells the Israelites, he says, don't hate the Edomites. Now, the Edomites were the descendants of, uh, of Esau. That's who the Edomites were. They were the descendants of Esau. Um, they were cutthroats. They were they were uh, just like just like what he had been raised in. They were cutthroats. Uh, they were mean. When the children of Israel had come and were headed towards the promised land, and they got to the border of, of Edom, uh, they uh, sent word to the king of Edom and said, "Hey, can we come through? We're just passing. We won't do anything. We'll just come right through." And they, they were taught their entire lives uh, that no, we hate those Israelites. You just go around through the badlands. God says, don't hate them. They're your brothers. Don't hate them. And they did. Ultimately, uh, when we get into, uh, I guess, uh, about the time of King David, we find that uh, Eden had been um, defeated and crushed, and David had set up uh, garrisons all in that particular land, and uh, that's when the 
Esau bowed down to Jacob. They served him. The rest of that prophecy, though, was is what when uh, um, Isaac was had his I don't know his last words to Esau says, "Yeah, you you'll be great too, but you'll serve your brother. But at some point, you'll break the bondage." And that's not, that's exactly what happened. Through Edom, though, through his descendants, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years later, it had, it had, it was not, this is not talking about an individual kind of election for individual people. But it's talking about how God deals with his people. They're representatives of that. Why can he do this? Why can he? Why could he give the younger child the blessing and not the older child? Because they all belong to God. And God can do what he wants to with his own. There's a parable in the book of uh, Matthew. It says uh, it's about a, a landowner. This is uh, Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, uh, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye into the vineyards, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And, uh, and they went their way again. He went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, it went out. And you know the 11th hour is got one hour to go. That's what it means. You got one hour to go. Went out and found the others standing idle and said to them, Why stand ye here all day idle? They said to him, Because nobody's hired us. Nobody's, nobody's hired us. He said to them, Go ye into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when... <laughs> Even was come, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers and give uh, them their hire, beginning from the last to the first. And when they come that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. Notice they didn't even negotiate. They had no, they didn't know what they were going to get. They were just, they just went and did what they were asked. When the first came, they supposed that they should receive more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And they, when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burdens of the heat of the day. That's not fair. That's not fair. You see, that's how the world looks at God. That's not fair. You're not fair. But he answered one of them, and he said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Did you not know what you were going to get when you started? See, I think that represents the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, the natural Israelites, the picture that we have of them in the Old Testament of the Bible. They knew what they were going to get. And I am certainly glad that they work through the heat of the day. And I appreciate that. But he says, take that thine is 
take that thine is. Take those things which are yours. And go thy way, and I will give unto the last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will or what I want to with mine own? Remember why, why election is even a thing? That the purpose of God might stand. It's my purpose, God says, to make sure everybody gets exactly what I want them to have. And it's equal. Eternal life is equal for everybody. Everybody that gets it. I'll put it that way. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first shall be uh, last. For many, for many be called, but few are chosen. Well, that's some hard text, hard teaching. And so many people were want to take that into the make that into an eternal context and say you see only a few get to go to heaven no only a few get the privilege of serving God in this life but even those that didn't that are his guess what they get they get eternal life just like we do Just saying. What shall we say then about these things? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, Paul says. Is there uh, another way we might say that, or at least say that in, in modern day terminology? Is there unfairness with God? How can he be unfair if he takes what is his own already? And brothers and sisters, I want you to remember what God owns. God owns everything. Is it unfair for God who already owns everything to do what he wants to with one and do what he wants to with the other and that be something different? Absolutely, it is totally fair because God is God. We are all his by, by the fact of creation. I remember hearing the joke about the scientist who, uh, and I, I can't tell you the whole thing because I, I barely remember the parts and pieces of it, but the scientist came to God and he says, look, I've created life. <coughs> he said, where'd you get the, how'd you create life? He says, well, I took the, this molecule and this molecule and I put them together and I uh, put it in this test tube and, I, and then out came life. He said, well, where'd you get the molecules? He said, the dirt. He said, where'd you get the dirt? It's my dirt, God said. So you don't have anything we don't have anything really that's ours. We're just students. For he says unto Moses, and here in this particular, these two verses here, so many people want to say, want to say what's not in this verse. They want to put this verse in a backwards connotation. But, but listen to what it says. He says, for, I, for he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Did you hear what he said? He did, or let me tell you what he didn't say. He did not say, I will not have mercy on him. I will not have compassion on him. He did not say that. He did not say, I'll go out and make people be bad. You see, so many, 
And, and, and even these people that call themselves Old Baptists that are uh, so far off the tracks that it's almost unrecognizable. They say, you see, God is making the good and the bad. God makes people do bad things for his own purpose. No, absolutely not. God works his purpose in spite of people doing bad things. That's the truth. I'll have mercy on who I'll have mercy on, God says. If that man is bad and I decide to have mercy on him, what business is that of yours? Right? Who, who are you? Oh, he says in the... Let's you say that. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. 14 and 4. If I want to have mercy on this undeserving wretch who, who, who stood around all day doing nothing, that's what I'm going to do, God says. You see, so, so often we look at this in the negative connotation. We say, look there, see, God is just... He's looking at us and saying, yeah, you were blessed. And he's looking at them and saying, dude, I'm going to unbless you on purpose. I'm going to write you out. Brothers and sisters, didn't any of us need to be written out because none of us were in the first place. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, for even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. And if you go back to the book of Exodus and you read about what Pharaoh, what, he, what how Pharaoh ended up working out, let me tell you, Pharaoh was not a good man, I don't think. But Pharaoh was given so many opportunities to let the people go. And guess what Pharaoh did? He hardened his heart. <laughs> and it came to a time there when he hardened his heart for the last time. And God let him stay hardened. For this reason did I raise thee up. For this reason did I let you be king. So that I could show you mercy. Paul says in the book of Galatians, he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I do not frustrate, let me get that verse, make sure I read it right. Galatians um, <coughs> chapter 2. Listen to how Paul puts this. Galatians chapter 2. Um, 20, starting. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. What, what does frustrate mean? Frustrate means to bring it to nothing, to, 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 to waste it away, to not take advantage of it. Paul says, God gave me grace. Who was the chief of sinners, Paul said, talking about himself. I'm the chief of sinners, but he had mercy on me. Yet not I, but it was Christ which was in me. 
There's nothing good in and of ourselves. That's, that's what this is teaching us. There is nothing good in and of us. If there's anything good in and of us, where did it come from? Where'd you get your dirt? It came from God. He says, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, for, for, for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth for his glory. Why does God do what God does? For his own purpose. For his own purpose and grace. For his own pleasure. He says, Therefore he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will he hardeneth. Thou will say then unto me, Why does he yet find fault? Who hath resisted his will? <clears throat> Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why hast thou made me this way? Thus, why have you made me like this? <clears throat> Whatever you got, it came from God. What if? I mean, uh, 21, I missed that. Hath, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel of honor and another unto dishonor? Again, that's, that is the <clears throat> concept of, it's teaching ownership by creation. God owns you because God made you. You're God's. Because he made you. Simple enough. I can, I can make you however I want to make you, God says. And it ain't any of your business. And it ain't any of your business how I make him. If I make him better than you, hey. If I make her different, whatever. It's my business, God says. You can't come to me and talk to me about what I do with my own. You can't question me about it. Because it's mine. What if? Here's another one of those verses that I have, I had spent, I had spent a lot of years totally convinced that this verse was the, the non-elect people of God. These are the non-elect. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Who are the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Every human being that's ever lived. Who fitted us for that destruction? Well, we did, obviously. He didn't say anything about who did the fitting there. Why not? Because it was us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a single one that does good. No, not one. We are the vessels of wrath. We all, every single person, deserve the wrath of God. But in his, in his infinite mercy, but God, <laughs> Ephesians talks about the concept of election. And he talks about the state that we're all in. Paul says in Ephesians 2, um, 3, he says, among whom we all had our conversation in time past 
in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And then he brings the, out the great conjunction, but. But you didn't get what you deserved. But. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. You're not saved by doing good. Let me tell you what. You look back there in the Old Testament and this picture of the, of the church, Israel, will you look back there? Again, like I, like I said, it's like watching a couple of seasons of Dallas or, or two or three seasons of your favorite soap opera. They are so cutthroat and dirty and underhanded and sneaky brothers and sisters. If any of them ever got saved, it wasn't anything they did. They got saved because God loved them. You see, that's how we get saved. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Every single human being that has ever lived were vessels of wrath, children of wrath, even as others. But God. Verse 23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy Here's the elect. What did he do to those vessels that deserved wrath? Well, for a great number of them that look like the dust of the earth, that's how many they are, that look like the sands of the seashore, that look like the stars of the sky, that he might make known the riches of his glory, which he had afore prepared unto glory, let me read that again so that I make sure I get it right. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. Who did the preparing on those vessels to make them ready for glory? He did. You see, it's, it's not, it's not the, the amazing part about election is not that some aren't. The amazing part about election is that any of us are. And it's for showing his power and his glory. That's the purpose for it. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, that includes all of us as well. He saith, he, as he saith also in Osi and Hosea, he says, I'll call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in that place where it is said unto them, You're not my people, that you shall be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cries concerning Israel, though the number of her children be uh, uh, as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Just a few. Clearly distinguishing between those that have to work in the heat of the day. 
than those that get to come in at the very last minute. Clearly making that a distinction. For he will finish the work. And he'll cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make where? Upon the earth. Let me tell you what. Paul is, he gets out ahead of himself and he says, he's saying at the beginning of this chapter, he's telling us, boy, I wish they could just know what I know. I know they're not going to. Or I know it won't change the outcome. They might. You see, that's where our testimony, our witness, um, the Apostle Paul at the beginning of this book, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, it's only the power of God unto salvation to people that believe it. Here. You see, God, the gospel's for here. The gospel's to relieve us here of our fear, of our worries, of our doubt. It is to strengthen our faith, our belief here. And, and we can be part of helping others see that if our lights shine the right way, if the, they do what we're called to do. But he'll... he'll You'll have a short work with the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, uh, we would have been just like Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, if we have anything good in and of ourselves, it's because God put it there. But if God puts something there in us and he gives us the opportunity to use it, don't frustrate it. Don't waste it. His grace. May the Lord help us remember these things as my prayer. I want to stand and we'll use.